This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I was talking to some friends of mine this week that said they were traveling down to Tennessee and going to be around Knoxville. And the first thing that I said was, you've got to try Stock and Barrel. It's this little restaurant downtown. They have the best burgers that I have ever tasted. I'm willing to say the best. And that's a, that's a, a pretty prestigious platform to be on. I've had those burgers several times, and I recommend, if you're anywhere near Knoxville, within a half hour's drive, maybe within an hour's drive, it's worth a stop. It's the place that got me started eating the barnyard burger, which is a beef patty, tomatoes, pickles, bacon, and a fried egg with some garlic aioli. And the egg... They leave just a little bit runny, so when you bite into it, there's this yolk sauce that just, just makes everything perfect. So, if you happen to be near Knoxville, go downtown, look for this little restaurant, Stock and Barrel. We, my family, actually on our way to Florida to see my in-laws, made a little jaunt off to the side to Knoxville to have burgers at this place. It was worth the side trip, I recommend it to you. Have you ever had a, a great experience that was so good you had to tell? You, it became part of your conversations for the next week or month or whenever the topic happened to come up. You would say, by the way, let me tell you about this great experience I had, this incredible food. Usually for me, it's a restaurant. We like to travel and find things that we can't eat here in Finley and, and explore new things and, and find great little places to eat. We, uh, we discovered Mellow Mushroom this year while on vacation. I don't know if you had Mellow Mushroom pizza. It's fantastic. I heard there's one in Lima, but I haven't found it yet. Sometimes when I, when I see a great movie or watch through a television series that is just fantastic, that, that is engaging, and I'm drawn into the story, the action, the comedy, I, I tell people about that. You won't believe how great this series is, this TV show, this, this movie. Sometimes I like it so much that I'll actually invite someone to watch it with me. I want to see your face when you see this movie. I want to be there when you are engaged in the process because it's so good. There are some times when I find a great deal. And I tell other people about it. I've been known to text some friends of mine about great prices on meat. If I find ribs, you know, buy one, get one. Or if I find brisket at, at you know, a couple dollars a pound, I'll say, hey, run by this store. These are great prices. And now I'm a little bit hungry. It's, I know it's early for, for barbecue, but your ribs and brisket, yeah. There are experiences we have that are, that are so meaningful that they become a part of our conversations. But, but every one of those experiences is, is temporary. Yeah, it's enjoyable, but it's, but it's here and gone very quickly. Today we're going to talk about what we should do with experiences that are much more significant than those temporary things. What we do with those significant experiences that are not only life-changing, 
but they matter for eternity. We're going to talk about the experience that we have in the life-changing presence of Jesus. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote about this idea, he said that when, when we are drawn back into relationship with God, when, when we discover the freedom of forgiveness through His grace, when we discover the, the power at work in us by, by His Spirit, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and we begin this new, this new life full of purpose and meaning, that that, that should become defining for us. In fact, he said we should become ambassadors for Christ. We should, we should take on a, a title, and with that title, a, a purpose of drawing other people to the Lord, of helping them come to know Jesus for themselves, to discover the freedom of forgiveness, to discover the power of His Spirit in dwelling to learn what it is to, to live according to his commands and to grow toward maturity as we're molded and shaped by the work of the Spirit in our lives and that we should become ambassadors for Christ, making this appeal, calling for other people to share in the experience we have had of reconciliation. That's what, that's what Paul said. Jesus called his disciples to do something very similar. And today we're going to talk about the Great Commission from Christ. We're going to be looking in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. And this, this sermon is a part of our series called Ecclesia, the church. Last week, we began talking about the word ecclesia, that it means called out. That as, a, as believers, we're called out from society to gather together and worship, to fellowship, to, to discipleship, to service. And that, that, that brings us to a place where we're not just called together, but we're called together to, to then spread out into the community and, and to share the message of truth of the love and grace of Jesus Christ in this world and help draw people in, help introduce people to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This series is going to take us on a journey to discover who we are supposed to be as the church as we look into uh, the New Testament and, and discover the words there that describe the early church. And we compare who we are today with what Scripture tells us we should be. And we learn from that and grow through that experience. Today we're going to talk about how the church is commissioned. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, I invite you to do that. The words will be on the screen. Also, if you have a device and you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes in the YouVersion app as well. Let's begin reading in verse 16 about this privilege that we have to share our experiences with others that we've been called to do, that we've been commissioned to do by the Lord. Here's Matthew's record. The, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now as we dig into the meaning of this passage... I'd like for just a minute to consider the, the historical situation of the disciples hearing this message from Christ. Now, the disciples are, are together, and they're in Galilee on a mountain. Uh, but this is following the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the disciples have been given instructions to go to Galilee up to a mountain. Now, 
I'm always curious about those little facts. Where, where were they given instructions? How did they know to go there? If you turn back a little bit into the beginning of Matthew chapter 28, in verses 8 through 10, we, we, we get a glimpse of what that message might have been like. This is the women who were around the tomb, who went to find the body of Jesus and instead found an, an empty tomb with a stone rolled away. And were, they interacted there with an angel and then were in the presence of Jesus. Verse 8, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, we're missing the, the information about the mountain in this message. Probably there was more to the conversation. Matthew recorded this piece for us to understand. But I like knowing that these pieces fit together historically, and they were going where they were told to go to encounter Jesus. But when they got to that mountain, Jesus was there, the resurrected Lord. They were standing in his, in his presence. And their response to the presence of Jesus was very. They worshipped him. Yet some of them doubted. It seems a little strange to us to think about a number of the 11 remaining disciples doubting. Now, we've, we've heard other places in the New Testament when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the uh, upper room that Thomas was the one who had trouble believing that he was Jesus. And Jesus said, stop, stop doubting and believe. And now we, we have this other account that says, well, when the disciples met him, some of them doubted, more than, more than Thomas. And the, the disadvantage we have is, is linguistic. In, in the English, we have this word doubt that is the translation of two different words. Uh, the, the word that's used for Thomas is unbelief. This is a doubt that refuses to believe the truth in front of him. And Jesus said, stop your unbelief and believe that I'm here. The disciples that were facing Jesus on this mountain in Galilee, the word that they translated into doubt is a word that actually means hesitation. Indecisiveness. Uncertainty. Even skepticism. But not disbelief or skepticism. And so what we, what we see in the disciples who are standing face to face with Jesus is that they worshiped, but yet some of them weren't quite certain what to do. They were indecisive about how they should respond to Jesus and what they should do next. Is this doubt that sprang up in them as they were face to face with the resurrected Lord. And while they were still devoted, there was this uncertainty or indecision. Much like what we read about the disciples through their life with Jesus as he was teaching them and guiding them and leading them, they said, yes, Jesus, we understand, but yet they didn't quite catch everything that he wanted them for, for them to do. That's a lot of what some of the stories in the Gospels are. The disciples not entirely sure what Jesus is calling them to, even though they're listening to him, not catching every piece. But here, they worshipped, but weren't entirely sure what to do. And Jesus answered that confusion with decisive instruction, telling them exactly what they needed to do. Where the disciples faltered, Jesus provided assurance and direction. And these instructions led the disciples as they became apostles, witnesses, in the world around them, of the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the resurrected Lord. And these instructions guided those disciples, becoming apostles, in the way that they would gather people and begin the early church. 
Now, typically when we read through the Gospels, we don't always take what Jesus said to the disciples as instructions for us, because some of those things are very specific to the situation, what they were doing. These instructions, however, because they applied to the way the church would be established and gathered together and the responsibility of those who already believed, those disciples, and the work they would do in establishing the church, we can accept these instructions, this commission from Christ, as work that we also need to do in support of the church. And we're commissioned to go and make disciples. We are called to follow these instructions. Why? Because they're given by one who has authority, like a general commanding his troops. This commission was given by the one who has all authority. And Jesus reminded the disciples before calling them to action that he had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He had the right. He had the power to charge them with these tasks. This authority of Christ is spoken of in other places in Scripture. In the book of Daniel, uh, we read about a vision that Daniel had uh, referencing this authority. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Paul, in his writing, talked about the authority of Christ as the Son of God in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, you remember we used this passage last week as we talked about the examples of the church in Scripture, that this idea of the church as the body of Christ is a clear illustration of how we are called to act together with Christ as our head, in the same way that a brain sends impulses throughout the body instructing the the muscles to act, giving instructions for the words that need to be said. The, The brain creates those impulses and drives those actions in the same way Christ should be the instigator of everything that we do. We follow those impulses. We respond to his direction because he has authority. And he has given this commission to us to follow, to go and make disciples of all nations. Those are two very clear parts to this commission, to go and to make disciples. Now notice how actively involved we're supposed to be in this process. He doesn't say, stay where you are and make disciples. Hope that people come to you so that you can make disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Now, a lot of times as a modern church, we think about going to church, maybe bringing someone with us to church, and we we hope that the, the service that we are a part of We'll facilitate this discipling thing. We'll go to church and hopefully make disciples there. But while that's a, that's a beneficial part of the process, while being a part of a body of believers is essential to faith and growth, when we're called to go and make disciples, it involves more than just sitting next to someone in a church service. We are called to go, to actively engage in the process. And notice that in these instructions, there's no destination listed. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples, go only here and make disciples. Go there and make disciples. Go to this group of people to make disciples. He, he leaves that 
wide open in this passage. Go and make disciples. And as we think about what that means for us, each of us has in mind different places we could go. Some of them where we would naturally have success in this process. Other places that we know would be more difficult to carry the message of Jesus and have people receive it and accept it. And we think about how much more willing we are to go to those places that will have success than we are to go to those very difficult places where people are resistant. And yet, while we've got this, this very clear focus on the destination, what I've come to learn is that the journey is often the most meaningful part of the process. No matter what we have in mind for our destination, we're called to go and make disciples. And very often those opportunities appear along the way. When we aren't quite focused on the things around us, we're, we're looking ahead. Sometimes those people come into our lives that truly just need to be encouraged. They need to experience love. And those moments are available for us to take advantage of as we are going. Now, these aren't usually strangers who walk up and say, hey, you look like a Christian. Let me ask you a question about Jesus. I've, I've not had that happen to me personally. Usually what happens is while we're going, while we're doing, while we're focused on the task and the destination, we pass by people all the time. And we have opportunities to open up our lives to them, to be real and genuine, and not just brush past and make superficial comments and greeting, but to truly live life next to them, to truly engage them in conversation and build friendship and build trust. Those are the moments that we're, we're called to take advantage of, to prove through our lives, through our actions, through our decisions, through our words, that we are a part of that, that pillar that holds up the truth of God's word, that our lives are, are a genuine reflection, that as we are living that example, that we, we're actually giving proof, evidence. We're, we're building the, the trust needed so that people will want to believe what we have to say. And that's an important part of the process of living an authentic life that is a genuine reflection of this message of truth, connecting with people living life with them and next to them. And as we grow in those relationships, as those, as those doors of our hearts open and we connect meaningful with, meaningfully with other people, we'll discover that those opportunities to talk and share and answer meaningful questions will come up in the course of those interactions. And we look around ourselves and recognize that when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's inviting us to recognize the people around us, to lift our eyes up from the task that we're focused on, to let go of the busyness of our schedule and see the value of those people that are already present. See them worthy of the message that we're carrying and stop what we're doing to share with them. No matter where we are, no matter who we encounter, recognize those people. This is, this is the same kind of question that Jesus addressed in the Gospels as he was teaching about the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he was approached with this question. You say, love, love your neighbor. Who, who is my neighbor? Who exactly are you telling me to go and love? The idea of the question was, how, how little can I do and still be obedient to this, this commandment? How, 
how close can I, can I travel to find a neighbor? And Jesus answered this man with a story about a traveler who, who was beaten and robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. And while he was there in desperate need for help, people walked by, religious types, coming from a place of worship, going to another. And they looked and saw the man in need and walked past. And then uh, another man came the other way, coming from a region that was a rival, coming from a place that if they had met socially, they would have hated each other. And yet this man from another place stopped and cared for the traveler who was beaten and bloodied, bandaging his wounds, put him on his own donkey and walked next to this injured man to an inn and paid so that this traveler could have a place to stay and recover. The message of the story is clear. When the Lord points us to care for others in this way, to love them genuinely, there are no boundaries that should keep us from doing that. We can't allow the usual barriers of life to stand in the way. We have to choose to overcome our own fears, our own assumptions, our own rivalries in order to be faithful to this commission in our lives. When we look around at the people in our community, in the places where we work and go to school, we can't exclude people from the message of the love and grace of Jesus Christ because of the assumptions that we make about them. We can't assume that because they come from a different background and they already have a faith in some other religion that they don't still need to hear about Jesus. We can't assume that because they are the CEO or manager that their lives are put together and they're wealthy people, they don't need to hear from us about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. They do. We can't assume that because someone is in desperate need, because they, they come from such a, a different place that we can't understand, because they're currently homeless, dirty, asking for help, that we have a right to walk by because we don't have cash in our wallet, because we don't want to be inconvenienced by that exchange. We're called to recognize every person in our world, every person who's already in the landscape of our lives, as worthy of the message of the love and grace of Jesus, as a person who's in need for us to answer this call, to carry with us, wherever we go, the hope that comes through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations. There are no people who are out of bounds, no limits to this commission. There are people in our homes who have refused to accept Christ as Lord and Savior that need to hear continually, consistently about his love through our lives. There are people working in the next workspace, cubicle, office, who need to hear from us about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. There are people in our community waiting for us to be faithful to this calling. There are people in the towns around Finley who need us to go and make disciples. There are people in the, the major cities in Ohio who are waiting for someone to answer this call. There are places throughout the U.S. where people have never heard about the love and grace of Jesus Christ throughout our world in foreign countries where we could go and declare this message this commission is calling us to wake up from the, the task at hand and recognize the needs of people. We're called to go 
and make disciples of all nations. And not just generally, just go figure it out. We're given clear instructions. We're instructed to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that Christ commands. Now, usually when we think about our approach to bringing up a a spiritual conversation to someone, we think about teaching them to understand the truth of God's Word, bringing them to a point of decision in baptism. That's That's the goal. Evangelism is to, to bring them to a point of accepting Christ. And in the church today, I've grown up in the church, attended lots of different places and been a minister at different places. Sometimes, as the church today, we have this tendency to focus on the victory, to work really diligently teaching, urging, convincing, to bring people to this point of understanding where they recognize their need for a Savior, their need for repentance, their need to to live in, in belief and faith and confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized in his name. And we work so hard to bring them to this place to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And then we say, congratulations. I'll be praying for you. And we hope maybe in a couple of months they'll come back and ask, okay, now how do I, how do, I do this? <laughs> what is this? What does this life look like? And we've been, we've been very, very specific about the, the victory, about conversion, about bringing someone to accept Christ. But, but what Jesus is calling us to do is to make disciples. To help people understand their need for Jesus as Savior and to accept him. And then to teach them to obey everything he commanded. To help them grow in discipleship. To help them grow toward maturity in Christ. To, to, to be there to assist the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they're molded and shaped into the image of Christ in this world. That's what we're called to do, to be present through the process, living our lives with them, next to them, alongside of them. That's what discipleship calls us to. We think back to who the disciples were with Jesus. They lived their lives with him. They heard his teaching and instruction. They watched him model the behaviors he wanted them to follow. And they practiced, sometimes poorly, doing the things that Jesus showed them what to do. But they, they did all those things submitted to him as their teacher, as their rabbi, as their master. They were his disciples. And we're called to go and make disciples through our lives, living life next to people, teaching them the truth of God's word, and helping them understand what it is to be a disciple, what it is to be a follower of Christ, to grow in maturity. That's, that's what we're called to do. And not only have we been commissioned and instructed, we're also encouraged We're encouraged by the presence of Jesus. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The presence of Jesus is an encouraging thing. And this has been the intention This is what Jesus intended to do. And notice how similar these words at the end of Matthew are to the words at the beginning of Matthew as he recorded the birth of Jesus to Mary and Joseph. We turn back, not to chapter 1, that's genealogy. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 2 and hear these words about Joseph. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's exactly what Jesus promised. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And it's the presence of Jesus that we so desperately need. It's the presence of Jesus that answers our fear and anxiety when we think about what it is for us to answer this call, answer this commission in our lives. Let me be, let me be honest with you. Not that I wasn't being honest before, but let me be real. I'm a minister. I'm also a person. When I think about engaging in conversation with another person and urging them about spiritual things, I'm confronted with, with feelings that hinder me. I feel nervous about what I might say to that person. How do I know what the, what the words will be? How do I know what they need to hear to help them understand how much Jesus loves them, how much they need him in their lives? I feel anxiety about that moment of turning a conversation from, from superficial things that connect us together, turning that conversation to spiritual things. That's an awkward moment that I don't always bridge very well. My wife loves that sometimes I'm a little abrupt in conversations, just shift over to the next thing. That's, that's the way I am. But I worry that that awkwardness is going to turn people off, that they aren't going to be willing to hear what I have to say. Sometimes I'm uncertain about how another person will respond to the message about Jesus Christ, uh, about whether or not bringing up spiritual things will make them angry, and if maybe this spiritual conversation will be the last conversation I have with a friend, that they'll no longer want to, to be around me because of the fear that I'm going to keep doing this again and again. Sometimes when I think about those situations, I feel alone and inadequate for the task. That's me. And I feel that way because I'm considering what it calls me to do when I answer this commission, when I step forward into those moments. And I don't feel like I'm quite enough. And that's where the presence of Jesus meets me and answers those fears and answers those anxieties because his presence is more than enough to compensate for what I lack. Where I feel nervous about what I'm going to say, I find that the presence of Jesus, the power of his spirit in me, encourages me and supplies the right words at those moments, even when I'm not sure what they're going to be. They're there. When I'm feeling anxious about the awkwardness of, of how to begin that conversation, I follow the leading of the spirit in those, those little moments of turning. And I trust that, that the excitement, the joy, the, the wholeness that I remember about my relationship with Jesus and the experience I've had with them will carry me through as I begin to talk to another person about how they also can discover that same kind of experience in Christ. When I feel uncertain about what another person will, will, 
say in response, how they will react to this message, this spiritual message, I'm reminded that, that what Jesus is calling me to do, my responsibility is to be faithful and step forward and trust him. And while I'm hoping for the victory, while I'm hoping to help draw people closer to him, what he's calling me to do is to plant a seed right under the surface that'll be there on their minds as they contemplate, as they meditate, as they, they think deeply about the things that we talked about. Just plant that seed and wait. And then maybe in another conversation, I'll get to water that seed and create the right environment for it to grow. Just keep watering, keep watering. And sometimes I get to be there and participate in the harvest when that, that seed grows into a plant. Fruit is born out of it. And they discover truly their need for forgiveness through the blood of Christ. So they're baptized in his name and begin this journey of discipleship. And I know that I can trust God by the power of his spirit to work in their hearts and minds, that I don't have to worry about the result. All I have to do is be faithful and plant those seeds and water them. And I can trust God to take care of the rest. And when I feel alone and inadequate, I remember that Jesus is with me, that his presence is what he promised, that I'm never truly alone. I'm strengthened by that presence. I'm reassured by that presence. I'm reminded that when I needed him most, he was there for me. In the darkest days of my life, he cared for me. In the, the really painful parts of my journey, he carried me through those times. And no matter who I'm talking to, no matter where they've been or what they've done, he will be there for them in the same way. Present when they need him most. Willing to care for them in their darkest moments. Willing to carry them through the difficult days. That the presence of Christ is more than enough. And I know that by being faithful to this commission and calling, that I can introduce people to Christ. That I can help them discover how much they need him. And that's what he's calling us to do to live in this commission, to lift our eyes out of the, the, the task at hand, the busyness of our schedule, the things that always have to be done, and instead focus on the people around us with real needs. Draw them to the Lord. As we go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. We've been entrusted with this message. We've been, we've been given this by the Lord. And he's allowed us the, the freedom, the responsibility to answer his calling, to answer his commission, be faithful. Now, if this were a message that, that was a great experience, sure, we'd talk about it all the time. You, you wouldn't believe how great this was. If it was a message that would save a life, we would feel compelled to stop people from the danger they were in and protect them. This is a message with eternal significance that surpasses the urgency of any other message we could ever share. And we're called to be faithful with that truth and live our lives as ambassadors for Christ, faithful to this commission and this calling. And so this morning, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to think about the rest of your day. And not about the things that you have to do, but about the people that you're going to bump into, those moments of opportunity. What will you do with those? I want to challenge you to think about how you can connect genuinely with other people and plant those seeds 
and water the seeds that are already planted. Think about the rest of your week. Some of us are looking at a long one. <laughs> this is a lot. I want to invite you to, to get those things done, but as you're doing them, to look up and see the people around you, each of them, who need you to answer this commission in your life, who are waiting for you to bring this message of the love and grace of Jesus Christ to them. You plant those seeds in water. It's not an easy thing. It's kind of an intimidating process. But Jesus promised to be with us as we do. And I want to encourage you to step forward into those moments and opportunities to make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of the people that you know and love. This morning, if you have a decision to make about your relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your life that you would like for us to pray for you about, would you please come forward as we stand and sing together? Please stand.